down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start singing all night, drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tear down doors. Welcome Drinking to Tasting Anarchy. I am uh, your host, Jacob, and I'm all, as always, I'm joined by the magnificent Virginia friend, Mason. Mason, yep. And uh, we are here to do what we always do, talk about wine and talk about liberty. And, yes. Uh, I'm feeling very free today because I've relieved myself of pounds of hair. <laughs> I don't know if it was quite that much, but I've relieved myself of quite a bit of hair, so I'm feeling... Yeah, quite, a, quite a few inches is my understanding. Yep, yep. So I think my hair was was well, was longer than Victoria's at this time, so it was past my shoulders, and I went ahead and got a nice haircut, so I feel like my head's feeling very light. So, so wait, very wait are you saying Victoria had cut her hair short? She cut hers to like maybe about shoulder length, a little bit longer, and mine, oh, was, wow. and mine was a little bit longer than hers, but it, Holy but it also hers is curly, so... Yeah. So when it was when it's uh, wet, hers was longer. Gotcha. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and get into the wines real quick. Let me do yeah. my, mine real quick because I think mine's interesting. Uh, okay. You know, sort of continuing on the the theme of me living in Texas now. We had to find a new. Uh, Russian store because Victoria is uh, from from Eastern Europe and um, you know she wants to taste a home and also there's just really good Eastern European food so we were out exploring and found a pretty good Russian deli that had a lot of the Russian meat and stuff like that that we like and they also had a lot of Eastern European wines so they had uh, Moldovan wine and Georgian wine and Kazaki wine um, uh, they had. I think they might have had some Ukrainian wine, but uh, we didn't look very hard through it. A lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of Romanian wine, and uh, so I picked up a Georgian. And there, for red wines in Eastern Europe, there is a grape varietal that's very old, um, possibly as old as winemaking, and mm-hmm. they use it a lot in Eastern Europe. It's, and I'm going to try to say it correctly. It's called uh, Sap. Saperavi, so it's S A P E R A V I. Sapravi. Yeah, Sapravi. Yeah, and uh, wait, grab Victoria. Tell, tell us how to say this. Well, <laughs> it's not in Cyrillic, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's written in English. But well, you just um, look it up in Cyrillic. Yeah, I probably should, but it, mm. it, actually, on the bottle, it's probably written in Georgian. But Georgian is also a different language. It is. And, it is a very unique language. Yeah, they ha- and they have a completely different alphabet too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I picked that this this red wine up, and that's what they use a lot. This one is uh, from a company that is in Georgia called Wine Man, mm-hmm. and this this particular one is a dry red. It's a 2014 vintage. It's called Muk- Mukuzani, mm-hmm. and it's made with uh, that type of grape that I will try to say one more time: Sapaveri. Mm-hmm. Sapaveri. And um, from what I understand about this type, it's uh, more of like a fruitier type of, I guess, Cabernet Sauvignon, not as tannic um, mm-hmm. and, and much more berry flavored. And they di- they have started growing it a little bit in the United States in the Finger Lakes region of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be kind of interested to see, like, what's the difference between what what we're growing here in the United States and what they grow there. So 
just from this wine. I've actually been sipping on it for a couple of days, um, and it's it is very good. It it does remind me a lot of a cab, but, mm-hmm. but it is it has a lot of that kind of juicy berryness to it. So it does have like kind of that like very juicy blackberry, very juicy raspberry kind of like mouth juiciness. I'm not really sure how, how else to describe it. Just it so feels let me like let me ask this question: Being a cab man, mm-hmm. does this wine? Because the the varietal is so old, mm-hmm. does the wine feel like the flavor feel maybe less refined and more exotic than a cab? Like a cab being like a specifically bred to trait wine recently compared to say this one, which may be you know extremely ancient and varietal. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that it tastes less refined. It does taste um, more. I would I would almost say more generic. Mm-hmm. So it's it it kind of it just sort of has a generic red, red wine flavor. Yeah, red wine flavor, but not as tannic as a lot of the red wines. It is tannic a little bit, um, but it does have like a very overwhelming fruitiness to it. Not overwhelming, but mm-hmm. a very strong fruitiness. It's very clear that it does have kind of that berry taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, now, if it, I don't know if that's typical of this varietal or typical of this specific uh, company or this specific mm-hmm. winery. Um, this winery does make about uh, 15 different wines, most of them from this type of grape or this type of grape blended with something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, about 10 of them. Are the red wines all with the same grape, and then there's and then they have about five that are made with uh, a white varietal that is also very old. So like they were they, what I was reading online is that they've got like traces of this grape and the white varietal back to uh, like 2000 BC. Mm-hmm. So it's been they've been growing growing grapes for wine there for a long time, and yeah, and it's been roughly the same as this type of grape. So this is what so I wonder. So you were talking about seeing what the difference between the Finger Lakes version of that grape is in the one you, you're tasting now. My question would be, like, if they use any of the more exotic Georgian wine making methods with that wine, or if it's, yeah. you know, or, or if it's more classically done. Well, on their web, yeah, their website basically get the description that they give to it is that it's mm-hmm. um, done basically the same way as everybody else does it in oak barrels. Um, okay. On uh, in a normal vineyard, and that could be because this is specifically for a American market. I mean, it's all, all the labeling and everything is for an American market. Um, but then again, they could just ship the bottles over and the labels are put on here. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Given that most of my experience with stuff you guys get from the Russian market, unless it's like a a European wide brand, yeah, is generally like something that has like the this is enough information sticker right, to, yeah. to get it through. Yeah, a lot of the yeah a lot of the stuff that we get there, it's got like, it's got like the you know whatever in Cyrillic, the Russian language, nutritional information, and then like a paper sticker pasted over it. Mm-hmm. But this one, it, it it does have a real like a an, a normal label. It shows mm-hmm. that it was imported in the same place that all of the European wines seem to be imported in the United States through Connecticut. Huh. Um, I don't know why that is, but all the Peter Schiff. Yeah, well, probably the what is it, the Jones Act? Uh, well, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so almost 
everything co- goes through Stamford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the French ones I was getting at Lidl, all of them are imported through Stamford, Connecticut. It also might be some sort of tax advantage that Stamford set up or something. That could be, yeah. So, so this one came through there. Their their website's actually very easy to read. It's set up mm-hmm. for they have a they do have the Georgian and Russian versions of the website, but they also have an American English and a British English version where it's got like the American flag and the British flag with like a slash, so it's like half American, half British English. Mm. And uh, do, you, do you ever use the British English specific versions of the websites just to be goofy? Yeah, sometimes just to see if it's different. Yeah, I do it all the time, and I'm like, I don't notice a difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. But you know what? It's it. I I do recommend it. This was actually really cheap. It was um, uh, twelve ninety nine a bottle. Oh, think you're going cheap today, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this one was pretty inexpensive. Uh, I, I'm, for a, I'm for a wine produced halfway across the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for for one produced in what is that? Is Georgia Central Asia, or is that still part of Europe? Um, it's in the Caucasus. So okay. I was listening to a podcast that um, is much more against us, let's say. Um, but it focuses on Russia as the main topic. Mm-hmm. And cause I was, you know, I'm always been very interested in Russia mm-hmm. and, um, but mainly from a more sympathetic standpoint. So this one is people who speak Russian and they, they're like the one girl's kind of family escaped the Soviet union and stuff like that. So, but, uh, they were talking about how like the caucus and what used to be Eastern Europe isn't really referred to as Eastern Europe anymore because it's more Central Europe because that's really where it is. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's in the it's in the North Caucasus, well, Southern Caucasus because the North Caucasus is in Russia. Yeah, if okay. I remember correctly. Yeah. So. It's, I know it's like Georgia, Armenia are right there, and then north of that is is Russia basically, or and then like and then like east of that is Kazakhstan and like Azerbaijan and yeah, and all those yeah. yeah all those types of places. Um, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised when we were looking through all of the wines that they had at the Russian store that mm-hmm. that Kazakhstan makes wine because I thought it was a Muslim country and I wonder if certain types of Muslim allow alcohol and certain types don't. There are a few that do, but Kazakhstan is, I think, a predominantly Muslim country. But I can't remember if Kazakhstan is the one that ruler basically said kind of like the Turks did, okay. like we're secular. Got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So I know, I know one of them over there did, and I know another is an Islamic Republic of the, the Stans mm-hmm. that is in Afghanistan. But like, I know one of those other ones is a, an Islamic Republic and that might be like Tajikistan or something like that. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah. What are, so, you, what are you sipping on? Well, so 1299, halfway across the world and definitely worth trying yep that's that's my review basically of mine (laughs) nice all right so i've taken a page out of the jacob book but in a different sense so as jacob knows and anyone who lives in southeastern virginia particularly hampton roads um aldi and lidl have been recently breaking into the grocery store market over here Mm -hmm. because apparently we need a cheaper and i'll use air quotes grocery store so, Jacob, you are a big fan of Lidl and their wine selection. Yeah. And so I can't remember what it was, but for some reason, my mom and a good portion of my family, like my brother and my sister, were all over at my house having pizza. Mm. And my mom brought a bottle of Winking Owl, which is a the winery, hmm. to the house. And I wasn't familiar with Winking Owl, and they brought a Shiraz 
I'm remembering the wine type correctly and then pronouncing it correctly right. um, to the house. And I ended up having quite a few glasses of it. Well, not quite a few, like two or three and some beer. Um, but, you know, I had the Pinot Noir that we reviewed last time on the counter. So I had the uh, Etude Pinot Noir, the, you know, 50, 60-something dollar bottle of wine that I got for 25 bucks or whatever. Oh, right, yeah. That I felt was, you know, just kind of red wine. And then to me, have a huge flavor. And so this Shiraz I was having, um, Shiraz, whatever it was, but like I was having, I was like, this is really good. So I asked my mom about it and she was like, well, I got it from Aldi. And I was like, oh, ho, ho, Aldi, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. rival of Lidl. Right. And, uh, she then dropped the bomb on me. It was two ninety nine a bottle and it did not taste like rubbing alcohol mixed with grapes. It tasted pretty good. Now it's not a wine variety I'm particularly familiar with. So, as I alluded to on the last episode, or at least maybe to you specifically, uh-huh. I was going to be starting a series of wines that had a central theme. The central theme is that I bought a couple of bottles of Winking Owl, which is Aldi's house wine brand. So your wife would love it. It's got a little owl on it. He yep. winks. Yep. I'm drinking today their, Mer- their Merlot. Okay. So um, I'm not super familiar with Merlot, so... You know, we'll kind of see how it goes, but they, um, you know, they've got country of origin, California, or origin, California, um, taste, dry, style, medium bodied, notes, subtle flavors of black cherry, mixed berries, and a hint of vanilla. They've got food suggestion, steak, pork, and pasta, and temp, best served at room temperature. So for a two ninety nine bottle of wine, they've got a lot of information about the wine on it. Okay. Now, they don't list the uh, alcohol by content. But they do list the area of California, and it's Modesto. Oh, so. nice. Okay. <laughs> My wife's uh, – well, no, they do list the alcohol by volume, which is 12. So, okay. um But, you know, very minimalistic uh, labeling and everything like that. And what's cool is they have quite a few different – they have like five varieties. Okay. Um, so I've got three of them, including this uh, Merlot. And like I said, I'm, I'm not super familiar with Merlot. Um, I've had it quite a few times, but mm-hmm. not anything – you know, not like we are deep dive into cabs where like right. I've got like a few huge flavor set to it. But for two ninety nine, you know, the Shiraz I had and the Merlot so far have been wonderful. Okay. Like they're not oppressive. They, they they taste like wine. They don't taste like like I said, rubbing alcohol mixed with like grape right. juice or right. something. Like they taste pretty good. So I don't know. You know, it says Winking Owl is the the vineyard, but like I don't know if that's a re bottle. I don't know if it's one hundred percent Merlot because you know it doesn't say it might be a blend and and maybe that's where they get away with it. Right. Um. But really. Dark red, ruby red in color. It's got a, a you know, kind of red wine smell. Mm-hmm. And then um, take another sip real quick. So pretty smooth. Um, I do get the mixed berries, but I don't get the hints of vanilla or blackberry. But, you know, for $2.99, like a product that came from California to here, this is pretty good. And, and we, as we mentioned, good bliss. It's almost a year ago now. When we first started the show, mm-hmm. like my mom, like was in a pretty fancy restaurant for quite a while, and they used to do wine tastings for the staff. And like, she's got a pretty good palate for wine. Mm-hmm. Now she doesn't usually drink very expensive wine because she's you know very price conscious. But like, if she's willing to drink it, it's usually not bad wine. Right. And like, you know, she was like touting the Syrah, and I was like, well, let me try the Merlot and. 
like I would buy this again and Merlot's not kind of my strike stomping ground wine. Right. So. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's good to know, especially since, uh, I mean, we have Aldi out here as well, um, in Texas. Yeah. Uh, nice. And, and you know, Lidl's expanding too. So, you yeah. can, and you know, I think we're, if, if we're going to be known for anything, it's kind of the value wine guys because we both yeah. like, and it's interesting that you had a Merlot because I almost picked a Merlot this week as well because <laughs> we, Victoria made this really, really good stew that, mm-hmm. that you, that was, the broth is like coffee and Merlot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it's like beef and mushrooms and, and it was super, super, super good. And so we opened it, but it only called for a, a third of a, gl- a third of a cup of wine. Mm-hmm. And so I just had, we just had a Merlot open and I was like, well, I'll get that. But I already had this, uh, Muku, Mukuzani one open as well. So I was like, well, that one's a little more exotic. I'll, I'll go ahead and review that. But I did, I forgot to mention, uh, on that is just, because you you happen to mention the color of yours, this is like ink black. Oh, nice! Yeah, like on the very edges, you can kind of see a little bit of red, but it's like like no light gets through it. It's just it's very dark. Um, huh. But yeah, so you know, price price does play. You know, we had that uh, Pina, which was a hundred dollars or close to it. Yeah, close to it. And uh, and it was amazing. But we've also had some pretty good, um, you know, twenty five dollar or twenty twenty nineteen dollar. Actually, I think. I was just listed because we, as of when this is being recorded, I released uh, our episode seventeen, and um, mm-hmm. in that episode we were trying black scout or black black scallion, black stallion, um, <laughs> cabernet sauvignon, which was a which both you and I were like, oh wow, we we should get this again because it's at Lidl. It was I think mm-hmm. it was between seventeen and twenty one dollars a bottle, and just a and, and a really good strong cabernet. And it was the Lidl, I guess the Lidl edition of that wine. Mm-hmm. And for the regular, you know, grape and gourmet or total wine version of that same wine, or I guess their mass market version of it, it was, mm-hmm. it was at $11 lower price at, at Lidl. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if Winking Owl might have something similar where they have a, Aldi version that Aldi gets for some discounted rate for whatever reason because they buy a certain volume or something. And, mm-hmm. and then there's like a mass market version because like there's, there's an owl one that I like. Uh, I like their, um, I think it's their petite Syrah mm-hmm. or it could be, it might be a Merlot also. I'm not sure, but there's, there's a, a brand called Owl Post that I like. Um, they make mm-hmm. they make a couple of different wines and they're pretty inexpensive. Um, I don't think it's the same as Winking Owl. They just happen to also have an owl. That's why it came to mind. But um, so that's like kind of you know for the listeners, uh, if you're just getting into wine, like sort of Mason and I, we've been doing the show for a year, but we still kind of consider ourselves, I guess, wine amateurs. I think I'm a lot I'm a lot more versed than I was, but I still think I'm kind of a wine amateur and um, I'm not really afraid to try a cheap wine because I have had an expensive wine, but I've also had good inexpensive wines for the $20 ish price point. So if you can get, you know, what do you say that was $3? Yeah, it was like, I, I bought three bottles of wine and it came out to like less than $10 in tax. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so if you if you want to just you know wing it, just try it. Like especially Lidl and Aldi, where they to me they've kind of proven themselves to have it like a good quality, good quality food and drink for a very low price. Yeah, so from what I can tell, Winking Owl is like Aldi's brand. Got it. Okay. Like I, it's you know as we've we've complained in the past, 
um, it's very difficult to find like information on wineries a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I found like an article about vine pear, like how Aldi um, makes their dirt cheap wines go viral every time. <laughs> so yeah. oh, that's I think I think we'll read through it later at some point. But right. yeah, so yeah, this was one of those things where like so one of the things that you know is like I, I mowed lawns a lot as a kid and. You did landscape work with your dad, yep. and I'm sure mowed lawns, you know, when the time present, yeah. presented himself as yeah, well. Usually I think I did, like, gutter cleaning and things like that. I think you, you've, you've mowed a lot more lawns than I have in your life. Yeah, but, like, you know, you'd, you'd mow the house lawn when your dad was gone and oh, stuff sure. like that, right? Yeah, yeah and, I, and I worked with it. Yeah. I did lawn mowing when he had the landscaping business and stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. But so one of the things that drives me insane about my neighborhood is so many people don't, like, I understand if you don't have the best grass, because I don't have the best grass, because I don't really agree with, like, maintaining a non-edible food source Yeah. for me. Like, I, like I don't want a lot of weeds, but I also, like, my daughter's too. She doesn't really play in the yard because we've got a lot of mosquitoes this time of year. So I don't really deal with that. Right. So for me, like, I like to keep my yard neat and trim. And problem with Southern Hampton Roads is, or Hampton Roads because it's, it rains a lot here, so a lot of times it's very difficult to mow the yard yeah. and get a crisp, clean yard. Right. So I was in Utah last week, and that's part of the. That's why we didn't record last week. So if you like know us outside of the show, like I didn't, we didn't record last week, and we didn't record the week before that because mm-hmm. Victoria came back from Virginia, so you guys were enjoying a weekend together, right. you know, well deserved. Yep. And then I had traveled back from Utah on Saturday. So I was like, I only got one day off. <laughs> so we didn't record last week. And subsequently I hadn't mowed my yard since I went to Utah before I went to Utah, which was like a week and a half ago in, in the South that can be, uh, you know, a forever in a time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do is my next door neighbor has like some sort of heart thing and his wife mows the yard and she keeps the yard well mowed, but like he used to weed eat and now he can't because right. he can't, be out in the heat and his wife just doesn't weed eat. I just don't think she's comfortable doing it. So I got frustrated with the fact that their sidewalk was really overgrown and like it may look, you know, kind of lowers my property value. Wink, wink. And that's the thing is like it, I frame it like that, but I was also being neighborly. Like I, I don't know them very well. I would, they're much older than my wife and I probably, you know, twice as old as we are. Yeah. So, I, I've taken to weed eating his front yard. So like he interrupted me while I was weed eating and was like, do you drink, you know, like, like, what are you doing? Like, not like, like, what are you doing in that? Like when your neighbor catches, you do something nice and he's trying to mess with you. Right. Right. And so like, I have my headphones on under my ear protection. So I don't have them, you know, deafening myself and I'm weed eating along and, and he gets my attention and he's like, do you drink beer? And it's like, yeah, like, well, what's your, what's your brand? And I was thinking like, not anything you're going to buy. <laughs> Cause yeah. you know, like somebody asked me like, what's my brand of beer? I'm going to be like 120 minute or, right. you know, these very expensive beers that I buy myself. But if somebody else is buying beer, like I never try to impose myself on well, someone. And, like, and, I, and I, that's definitely like a generational, a generational comment because I, I, I don't know anybody our age who has a brand of beer. They, they they just drink like 
they want to try a bunch of different ones. They might have one that they like a lot. Like I would have probably said if he asked it, I would have been like, you know, Sierra Nevada or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh well, I mean, you know, that there was that time you tried to establish Pabst Blue Ribbon as your brand. That's true, and you can go back and listen to episode like ten or something like that, <laughs> where I where I recount that story. Yeah, there was, yeah. but like, but you know, I, I think that we probably Yingling would be the closest thing to a brand. But I don't even really like Yingling that much. It was just cheap. Well, that's the thing. I really do enjoy Yingling, but like when I was out in Utah, like there was a lot of booze available at the events and I was having a real hard time adjusting to the two hour time difference. Mm. So I was waking up like four in the morning, Utah time, which would be six out here. Right. And like, I had gone to bed at like 10 Utah time, which is 12 here. So like I was just getting like, just not great sleep. And I was working out a lot, trying to like curb the, the overall problems of like being at a conference because like you end up eating more than you would and then having beers and drinks on top of it. So I was really hoping to find like a unique Utah wine or something like that at the, the resort in park city. But yeah, they just had like nationally available wines and they didn't even have like a Grigio. I was just like, all right, (laughs) I'll drink beer, but they had a Unitas or United. I always mispronounce it, but it's a local, Salt Lake City wine, or not winery, but brewery that makes good beer. But so like my neighbor said he would buy me some beer and I was just kind of like, I'll drink whatever. And cause he's always drinking like Bud Light or, and stuff like that. And like, I agree most, most people do have a brand with beer. Like there's the hipsters, which have the ironic brands. And then there's the people who have like, Oh, I only drink craft beer from right. this craft brewery. And I was kind of like, <laughs> when I thought about it, I wanted to kind of like throw them for a curve and be like, well, no, but I drink wine. So right. it's like, Oh, it's like, do you know anything about wine? <laughs> like, yeah. And kind of, you know, it, cause I don't want him to get me something cause I'm not doing it for, for like, I'm doing it for partially selfish reasons, mm-hmm. but also trying to be, get into that spirit of being neighborly. So like they're, like I always kind of try to measure how I do certain things when it comes to my home, like Hank Hill. Right. Cause there's like Hank took an, an enormous pride in his home, his neighborhood, his state and his country yeah. in those orders. Right. So like Hank would defend his neighborhood in Arlen in his street mm-hmm. before he would defend Texas. Now mm-hmm. he'd defend Texas for anything, but right. like his neighborhood even more. Yeah. And so it always flusters me that I live in a well-established neighborhood, according to all the, you know, real estate mumbo jumbo listings. And like, there's a house down the street where the yard is two and a half feet tall because they're trying to sell the house because right. it's in foreclosure. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the the people who rented it destroyed it. Yeah. And then like the house across the street is like either a navy guy or like a girl who has a navy guy roommate or something. Yeah. And they don't edge like so many people don't edge in my neighborhood. And, you know, you've you like you've been at my house many, many times. Yep. It takes me almost as long to edge my entire yard as it does to mow my entire yard. Right. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure. Got, edging is yeah. edging is not as easy as mowing. This is a very manly it, conversation, it, by the way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing is like it, it's not even that edging is that difficult. It's very t- it's the, the problem is like. You know, I have the driveway, 
and then my driveway isn't one solid slab of concrete or multiple slabs of concrete right, yeah. that are broken up by just seams in the concrete. Yeah. I have like a couple grass patches in it that are like supposed to be ornamental and things right. like that. So, and then, you know, if I weed eat my neighbor's front yard, cause I don't, I don't go in their backyard cause they have a, a very well established saltwater pool. Oh, cool. So to not get it dirty, I, I don't weed eat back there. If they asked me to, I would, but I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to clean the pool. Right. Right. Like I'm going to do everything I can not throw grass in your pool, but I, I can't really say anything, yeah. but it flusters me like to walk out and it's like, you know, within a few, like the neighbor, the, there's a house across the, literally across the street mm-hmm. and not across the street and down the street. Like the one I was just complaining about that has been in some sort of version of foreclosure since I moved into my house right. basically. And like, it's falling down and it's like, you know, if there are people trying to flip houses in my neighborhood and my house is just under flip level when we bought it. Right. And it's a hundred, they're asking for a hundred thousand dollars more than my house. Wow. Okay. That we spent on my house. And it's like, they're not going to get it, you know, shoot high, yeah, whatever. Exactly. And then maybe arrive in the middle. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's just so frustrating to me to like, like I took the dog on a walk and so many people had let the yards get out of control and now their sidewalk is covered in cut grass. Right. And it's not like it's covered in cut grass and it's somebody who's being anal retentive and wants the homeowners association to just be a pain in the butt. Right. It's like to the point where like my dog's covered in grass now. Yeah. And I'm like, why can't you guys just clean the sidewalk off? Well, what do you think the market solution to this would be? Well, from my perspective, the market solution would be children because like kids need to earn them, earn money. Yeah. And kids need to earn money in a way that teaches them a skill. And so mowing lawns isn't necessarily a skill. Yes, you can you can be a very, very good lawn mower. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I failed to learn very quickly when I was mowing lawns was managing customers' expectations and my own time management skills. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you know it takes you an hour and 45 minutes to mow X neighbor's yard. Right. You know it takes you 15 minutes to get there, and you know it's going to take you 15 minutes to get back. How much time do you need to budget to do this job? Right. Okay, you know you want to go see this movie at this time, so you need to get back, shower, and do all that stuff. And... Like, you can't half-butt the job because the neighbor is paying you money to do the job. Right. So there's a difference, and this is kind of one of those things where, you know, when you're a kid and you're mowing yards, a lot of times the neighbors are like, oh, good on you, kid, here's some money. And Mm -hmm. you don't know the market value of your time, nor do you also know the market value of a good job. So, like, they're kind of underpaying you, knowing you're not going to do as good of a job. But, like, at a certain point, like, I was mowing very well. Yeah. In addition to prompt, quick, and timely. Like, I gotta show up every week and make sure the yard is cut. Mm-hmm. And if I do it right, I'm not cutting on the weekend. So they're enjoying their entire cut yard over the weekend, you know, managing these expectations. So that's one of the advantages of not having a minimum wage is you can ensure that kids are employed and, you know, especially if you have, don't have age, age laws. Right. You can ensure that kids are employed or maybe say people like my uncle who are mentally disabled and don't necessarily need 24-hour care. They can live on their own. They can use their microwave and do things like that. And they don't necessarily mind a menial job that they can get satisfaction out of because like my uncle 
takes good pride because he works at one of the Navy golf courses at mowing the rough and raking the traps and things like that. He takes pride at looking at a job and saying, I did a good job. And he can tell he did a good job. Mm -hmm. You know, he can see that the lines are straight and, you know, there isn't big divots and, you know, he did a good job. So, like, it can teach people material skills. Plus, I think if there was a less of, you know, so you and I both agree that there would be insurance in those sort of markets. Yeah. Like if we had a, a completely free market, you'd have insurance. So if you accidentally flicked a rock into somebody's window and broke it, you know, you sure. wouldn't maybe necessarily have to pay out of pocket. It might be cheaper to pay out of pocket than report it to your insurance, but you know, there'd yeah. be a happy medium. Right. Exactly. But now you have to have, like if you're a lawn mowing crew, not only do you have to pay federal unemployment, state unemployment, X, you know, like benefits and have to pay the minimum wage. And then you have to have insurance. That's not very good insurance. Yeah. Like, you know, you have to have liability insurance and then provide health insurance and then have to ensure that you're doing so many breaks. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, in a free market situation, breaks would be a perk. Right. Like I'm willing to accept less money for more breaks. Right. Or I need to pay my employees more because I'm not going to be able to provide as many breaks because we're mowing on such a scale. But, like, in my neighborhood, like, you and I could clean up. Like, I'm sure we could make $35 a lawn and it's 45 minutes worth of work. Right. That doesn't seem like much, but, like, you can, like, we could mow my entire yard and do, or my entire neighborhood in a day. Right. Like, or not in a day, but, like, in a week, we could really mow almost my entire neighborhood. And if we didn't have to pay, like, you know, didn't have to pay all these insurance and things like that, like, that would be pretty good money. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. So... So I, I think that that you're right. I think it would end up, you know, you're right. It's that there's a that the market is kind of stifled by the amount of costs and the restrictions on on the type of labor that are there. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've got uh, I do have one article, and I also have a game that I planned. Do you want to do you want to play the game? I have uh, had another question for you about okay. Dallas. Okay, well, I can, I, I can do that, but... I, I no, 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 I, I can't remember it. Oh, okay. Well, maybe during so, the game you'll remember it. Okay. So the game is called Murray or Murray. Oh. And I'm going to give you a quote, and you have to determine if it's a quote from Bill Murray or from Murray Rothbard. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask for some clarification. Okay. Are these personal quotes from Bill Murray, like in an interview, are these quotes from Bill Murray characters? They couldn't. They could be from Bill Murray characters, or they could be from him personally. Okay. And then the quotes from Rothbard could be uh, either him from a book, or him in, a, in an interview, or for, in a speech. Okay. All right. So I, I'll give uh, this one. I think is relatively easy because it's a pretty common one. So this will be our practice one, and mm-hmm. just to sort of give the listeners of like how this game works. So okay. uh, the quote is: "The best way to teach your kid." kids about taxes is by eating 30% of their ice cream. Is that Bill Murray or Murray Rothbard? So it's embarrassing because that really does sound like it could be both. I tried to make it sort of it so that it sounds like both. Yeah. But that's just a I want, off, a I want to say it's uh, Murray Rothbard. It's not. It's Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so oh, that, that's great. Yeah, so that's basically how this game works is I picked out okay. I picked out a couple of quotes. And so I'll give you the quotes and you could say mm-hmm. if you think it's Bill Murray or Murray Rothbard. And I think this will be a fun, a fun one to do if we have guests that are kind of familiar with Rothbard. Uh, mm-hmm. 
because I can we can do this with a lot of things. Because Rothbard, not only was he a brilliant economist and, a, and an amazing libertarian, but he was also just very well versed in a lot of different things. Yeah, there's a so you're not in the iOS ecosystem, which no. to me is a shame. But you know, it, it, I can understand why. Yeah. Um. So recently, Mises U got moved into iOS instead of iTunes. Okay. Got moved into the podcast and iTunes instead of iTunes U. Okay. And I think it's because like Apple kind of started phasing out iTunes U. Mm. So recently. A huge amount of Mises University or Mises Institute items became available. Okay. And there's a there's a series of speeches by. So do you remember the guy who Murray Rothbard said like when he met him he says he's met a true genius and like um like a man of the ages like basically Murray Rothbard like just went to town like extolling the virtues of this guy. It wasn't Hans Hermann Hoppe, was it? No, no, it wasn't Hoppe. Um, he's an American guy. Um, I, I can't remember who, oh, who he oh, was. Oh, uh, Kinsella. Stephen Kinsella? No. Hmm. Um, okay, I'm not sure who it is. David something. It's the guy that Tom Woods, when Tom Woods goes, like, I don't remember that quote, but this guy would. Oh, oh, yeah, I do know who you're talking about. I don't remember his yeah. name. Yeah. So he, he did a series of speeches for the Mises Institute on political philosophers, okay. basically, or philosophy. Right. Like throughout the ages. And the last one he does is a one with it's uh, like Murray Rothbard and somebody else. Okay. Is it David? No, it's not David Stockman. But it, it, so one of the things that he was, the guy was talking about like Murray Rothbard in like, and maybe it was also listening to something recently with Lou from, and these are older things. Right. Um, and they were just talking about like the breadth of things Murray Rothbard was interested in, like that he was a night owl, that he yep. knew had won like and played first base on the like baseball teams right. in like the world series in 1922, you know, just these insane things and it wasn't like he was a weird know-it-all nasty egghead about it right like he just he just knew this and it was like oh you know when people would talk about like i'm interested in writing a topic about this and he'd have some obscure article that he could give you right and like a copy of it or something so yeah yeah, just widely yeah exactly just so just a really that's why i think this game this game is kind of fun i might try it with some of the other ones but i feel like the the tone from like Mises, for example, is too old to be able to like, mm. compare. It. Plus, Bill Murray and Murray Rothbard have a name in common, mm-hmm. and so I just thought it would be fun, Murray or Murray. No, it's a good, it's a fun. This is one of those ones that you know we can't do it every time. No, no, but fun either way. Yeah, so I've got I've got three. So here's okay. here's the next one. Uh, people are like music. Some speak the truth, and others are just noise. I think that's Bill Murray. You got that correct. All right. Yep, that was Bill Murray. So Bill Murray said, people are like music, some speak the truth, and others are just noise. <laughs> so that is a pretty good quote from him, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So here's here's the next one. Is this Bill Murray or Murray Rothbard? It is clearly absurd to limit the term education to a, personal, a person's formal schooling. Hmm. Can't see it, but I'm rubbing my mustache. Okay. <laughs> um... I so this is one of those ones that like that's something I would say Tom Woods has said. Right. And I would imagine that something like Tom Woods would be like, this is something that Murray Rothbard said because like, you know, it, like Murray Rothbard like generated the idea in his head and like maybe um Jason Stapleton would also have said it. Like I feel like I've 
heard that so many times in libertarian circles. Yeah. But I just, I, I want to, like, it's not that, it, like, Bill Murray's been around for 45 years or something right. like that in yeah. the entertainment industry. So he's, I'm sure, been interviewed about just about everything. I want to say it's Murray Rothbard. You're correct. It is Murray Rothbard. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Yeah, so that yep, that was Murray Rothbard. That is, uh, it's clearly absurd to limit the term education to a person's formal schooling. Um, Do you which, have when he said that? Uh, it's from I don't know when. It's in his book, Education Free and Compulsory. Okay, well, so the reason I asked is um, if we ever establish like the Amazon links. Yeah. If we can link to the products where the, it, like, so like the other one, if it was said in a movie or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like we could link yeah. to those products. Right. Okay. That's, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, let me see what's I've got. That was two. I've got one more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to use that one. Actually. I actually have two more, but I, one of them I didn't like. <laughs> so, uh, okay. This one I think it might be easy, but I'm going to go for it anyways. And it's mm-hmm. uh, no action can be virtuous unless it's freely chosen. I mean, like with that statement, I want to say it's I'm going to say it's Murray Rothbard. Um, but like that's one of those ones I don't know if it's a trick question. <laughs> it's not a trick question. <laughs> yeah. You're correct. Yeah. It, it is Murray Rothbard. Um, yeah. Yep. And it doesn't say where that's from. I'm not sure if it was a book or just something he said in a speech. But yeah, I'm sure he said it. But the like reason a hundred different places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's what's funny about it is because there's a Mur, uh, a Bill Murray quote that is actually just basically the same thing, and <laughs> and it's it's just phrased differently, and it's it just says that. Um, let me find it real quick okay yeah it just says how can it be good if you're doing it so other people see how good you are so like he had a very similar quote not as well put Mm -hmm. um no i i I think that's actually very well put i I think i think they both express sentiments that are alike yeah but i think they're expressing different things yeah because one is and so this is remember the last time your mom was on the show Uh uh-huh and we were talking about um, Bob Bob Murphy's book, um, Tarn, where he where he lays out kind of the the idea of the like libertarian society oh, and kind yeah, of goes yeah, through. Yeah, it's his essay, Chaos Theory. Yeah, Chaos Theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I don't like about the implications of Chaos Theory, and this is not to say that the state is better. This is not to say that I prefer living in the state, and this is not to say that I wouldn't adjust to it. But one of the things that I, I found distasteful in some parts is the, that I was I still felt compelled to act because I had the possibility of risking losing my insurance, like the insurance cascade that we've kind of yeah. referenced in the past. Yeah. And so – in 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 the Murray Rothbard quote, it, it's more like you know it, it's all fine as long as you're not forced to do it. Right. Whereas like the Bill Murray thing, it, it's more like a personal philosophy, where it's like don't act like an ape around your friends because your friends think it's cool. Right. Right. Like you know, one is you know if you choose to eat the grass on the side of the street because that's what you want to do. Great. If you choose to eat the grass on the side of the street because it was that or get a bullet in the brain, no. Right. Whereas Bill Murray is like, you know, don't act like a jackass. Yeah. Just for the entertainment of others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so that's, I, yeah. No, go ahead. I mean, that's basically is that it does seem like when I was going through a lot of these quotes that Bill Murray does have like a lot of natural, not exactly libertarian, but individualistic instinct. 
And, mm-hmm. and I think that that is one place where like the libertarian movement can win is that I do think a lot of people naturally, at least personally, are very libertarian. They may not think that other people can be free, but they at least have the starting position that they think they can be free. And not everybody. Like I, I mean, you and I, I'm sure have moved, have met a lot of people who are who they'll be like, well, if there wasn't a law, I would do such and such, or you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. it really is the only reason you're not, you know, going around killing babies because there's a there's a law. Like most people are not going to do well, that. Like. So the, this is kind of like a big thing on internet culture yeah. about like the natural place of a woman is some of, so we'll I've, got, go I've, got, into, I've got a really good article about that, by the way, the natural place of a woman. Yeah. So <laughs> like, but the, you know, so people will have these and I wanted to say abhorrent views, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I think they're, I personally don't, I find them distasteful. Yeah. Um, but I don't think abhorrent is the right way, mm-hmm. but people like there are some of those like cringe, like, so uh, I'm oh, big oh, on like, yeah, like big, the cringe anarchy or you know the yeah yeah those yeah, <laughs> well those. cringe cringe anarchy is very interesting because there's a lot of times where it's like no they're really it's really an anarchist posting this yeah and just kind of being like well you have to cringe because you now have to accept the anarchist position because yeah. it's clearly right and well, then there's others where it's like you're cringing because like this person isn't like quote anarchist and they're talking about like. Well, if it wasn't for going to jail, I'd be like sodomizing women in the street. You know? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like I, what? I, yeah, I think it's like that. That whole thread. I, I find Reddit very fascinating, and with my new job, I spend a little bit more time on Reddit than I used to. Um, mm-hmm. And like, it's it's interesting where like political people congregate. So you've got like cringe anarchy at this point is very. Uh, very like a lot of Pepe, a lot of alt righty kind of you know okay symbol type things, mm. and and then like political humor is like not very good leftist political humor. Yeah, like political humor is a lot of like I got you libertarian or like yeah, conservative, yeah. and it's like no, you didn't. You <laughs> you it, totally it, misunderstood it, the position. Yeah, it's like or 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 actively perverted the position to score points with your friends on political humor and try to get reddit gold or whatever. Yeah. So like th- that's the thing about it that I find so frustrating about it. It's like you posted a forward response, half of it doesn't make sense, but you wouldn't read my entire essay response against it. Right. So re- recently like on Ask Reddit, which is where I spend a lot of time when I'm on Reddit. Yeah. And they asked like so Americans who are like uni- actually against universal health care, like in a serious question, what's what's your reason why? And like I wanted to just post like man, economy and state yeah. or like uh, def- like defending the undefendable. Right. It's like, you know, I could post just pictures of the Holocaust. It's like you, you don't seem to understand that you're like just because the Holocaust appears not to have happened in England. You guys understand the Irish potato family was a holocaust perpetrated by a government who's now giving you health care well i mean you also think about this too is if you if you know if you consider the british government one continuous government which i guess it sort of is and sort of isn't but between 1600 and 1700 speaking of you know abhorrent things or whatever there were more irish slaves in north and south america than there were black slaves because Irish mm. slaves cost five pounds and black slaves cost fifty pounds, yeah. and the Irish slaves were so cheap that they would they were basically disposable, and they would because they're light skinned, they would just die of like terrible sun blisters and stuff like that from the southern and tropical sun, and they would just be like they'd just be dis- like disgustingly like 
cancerous and burned and all that sort of stuff. Like people don't realize the the number of of white slaves that were in North and South America and Central America mm. at the time, and it was because it's difficult to go to Africa and get slaves. It's not difficult to go to Ireland where you already hate the people, round them up, and send them over to North and South America. Yeah. And, and like that, it's like you know, just posting like the anatomy of the state. It's ninety something pages. Yeah, yeah, it's not that long. Like, but it's longer yeah. than a Facebook post or a Twitter post. Yeah, it, exactly. And and that's the thing that drives me insane about these things. It's like I I'm not against somebody getting health care, yeah. but the reason health care sucks in the United States and is expensive is the government. Right. Well, how do you figure? It's like well. You understand that the American Medical Association destroyed black universities that were providing competent doctors to low-income neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, it's not only that. that that's that's yeah. not true. It's like, well, here's 17 history, scholarly yeah. articles saying it is true that are all totaled a thousand plus pages. Yeah, and they won't read it. But I mean, that's not, it's yeah, not only exactly. that, it's that like, it's, it's something like 30% of doctors were, it's not disbarred, but like unlicensed when the American Medical Association took over because most of them hadn't gotten there, didn't learn from a university, they learned from an apprenticeship. Yeah, and that's, so and, in Virginia, or North Carolina, so when I was going to high school, um, the, as you know, in Virginia, the last, the 12th grade um, history, the 12th grade civics or whatever it is, is government. Yeah. It, like the history class is government. And so, like, when I took government, like, my teacher basically was, like, he was the guy who would identify the people he had to pay attention to and then deal right. with them. And then the people he didn't have to pay attention to, he's just like, whatever, you right, know, right. just don't be disruptive. Yeah. And so, like, if he needed errands run, he would just make me go do the errands because he's like, you know everything already. Like, I, I'm just, like, you'll read the stuff that I tell you to read. You'll write whatever I tell you to write and you'll answer the questions. And he wasn't the type of guy who would be like, he would truly like, he was a read the amendment on like, like bill of rights and just tell me what it says. Right. I'm not going to tell you what it says. So, or like, I'm not going to tell you what they want me to tell you. So yeah. he got out of like the Marines or something like that, got out of Vietnam and in North Carolina, you could apprentice your, your way into being a teacher. So he did that. So he got his apprenticeship down in North Carolina, got his teaching license, and then that just transferred state to state. Right. So he well, moved up to Virginia yeah. and was just like, ah, yeah. screw you and your master's degree or whatever nonsense you needed well, to yeah, get. And that's, and that's like, you know, a lot of a lot of the problem with, and I'm sure that we're preaching to the choir for a lot of the people who will listen to this, but a lot of the problem with the American healthcare system is there is a shortage of healthcare. Healthcare is not something that is infinite in supply just because the government mandates that everybody has health mm -hmm. insurance. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is a limited commodity and it is further limited by government action. And like one of the actions, for example, that Mary Ruert brings up in her book, Killing Our World, and her newer book, um, uh, I think it's called Regulating Ourselves to Death, um, is that uh, there's a lot of things that you could have a problem that are that are wrong with you that a doctor doesn't need to see you to get you help, right? So, like if I go if I go into a doctor's office with a cut, usually the nurse can can deal with the cut, and they've also done a lot of studies that nurses are usually better at diagnosing simple problems than doctors because they spend more time mm -hmm. with you, and that. Most of the time, nurses, if they don't feel like it's something within their expertise, they are also more willing than doctors to refer up. So mm -hmm. a doctor feels like 
they are the expert, so they shouldn't refer up. A nurse doesn't feel like they're the expert, so they are more willing to refer up. So if they're going yes. up there like, I think it's strep throat, but I, but maybe it's, you know, measles or something like that. Or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know if those are comparable diseases, but, uh, close enough. Yeah. So if they, if they're like, they're like that, they'll, they'll, they're more willing to go like, yeah, let's get a second opinion from the doctor. Whereas if a nurse is like, oh, I'm absolutely sure it's a cold, most of the time they're correct. Yeah. And, and it's death by regulation, by the way. Death by regulation. That's what it is. Yeah. How we were robbed of a golden age of health. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um, and there might be uh, health and how we can reclaim it. Yeah. That's a that's a really good uh, book. I just I finished that like two or three weeks ago. It's pretty good. I, I've got, I've got to read it. You gave me a copy, and that's I, right. I realized I hadn't read it yet. <laughs> but this this so. sort of brings us into another topic that I guess can be our closing article. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 become a meme on cringe anarchy, and this mm-hmm. is it came up. But it is a real article. I thought it was a satire article. Uh, and I said it oh, to you. I said I'm it, not sure it isn't still. <laughs> well, it, it's. Fr- I'll tell you the website it's from. It's from Independent Women's Forum. Well, uh, so this is yeah, at, like with the root and some of the other Gawker media stuff. That's true. Yeah, it's hard to tell if that's I, satire or not. Yeah, and that's the thing. And this is so. This is one of the problems with academia. And I don't think the necessarily the anarchist world would solve this. Yeah. Um, well, I think from, I think that this is a cultural problem that America's kind of going through, but I think a lot of it's perpetuated by the government. Oh, no, 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 no. So I agree totally there. What I'm talking about is – so one of the issues that they currently have in science and other academic platforms is a research bias toward the people who are paying for your research. Correct, yeah. And I don't necessarily think that the free market solves that right away. I, I, I don't. I don't, the, I don't think it ever solves it. I think that you're always going to have a, a bias based mm-hmm. toward who you're being, who's who is paying you. I think there's there are some methods that do a better job. Like actually, Tom Woods had a guy on where they do independent review of uh, drugs and supplements, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. thought that was a good way to do it because anybody can challenge anything as long as they put up the basically Bitcoin to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to do it because then you get competitors challenging, but it's a, it's a anonymous. So it's just a challenge shows up. It's not like Pfizer challenges Bayer. It's, it's just somebody challenges Bayer. Well, and that's the thing is like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that if Pfizer itself went, no, 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 we've been researching this ke- class of chemicals for a long time and we think it's incredibly dangerous. And here's 10 years worth of research sure. and, well, and that, Bayer and that, could be like, yeah. That Holy crap! Fine. We didn't know that. Well, they could, or they could, or they could be like, "Yeah, you're just trying to put us out of business." But that's why, like, I, an, an independent research that's not funded by the government, because the the government fundings also have a bias. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's why oh, lo- sure. that's why lobbying exists is that if there wasn't this enormous power structure, like the whole idea where they're like, well, we should just outlaw lobbying. That's ridiculous. You're not going to outlaw lobbying because you have a you have bureaucrats who have, most of them who are lawyers have no idea what's going on in the industry they're regulating. And they mm-hmm. just and they just regulate. And, yeah, and so, of course, you're going to do something. It's not even it. the, the lawyer. It's the underling who's yeah. got a communications degree that is the long term con congressional aid specialist right. to the poop factory 
or right. whatever yeah. nonsense yeah, it is. But anyways, the, the, ar- so the it, article... But hang on real quick. Okay. In reference to that article, what I was saying is... Well, like, let, me, let me read the ar- I, article's name. Oh, yeah, sure. So the, the, the article's title is, Study, Describing Breastfeeding as Natural is Unethical Because It Reinforces Gender Roles. Mm-hmm. So that's the article title. And and go ahead and say what you're going to say, and then we'll kind of get into what the article says. Because it's so, silly. Yeah, so this is, this is one of those things that like I, I continually kind of think about is... The, the person who is doing the article, like, so one of the things is like, maybe the person thinks a provocative headline will get people to read it. Yeah. But also, so the, the problem is we have these mills turning out people with college educations. Right. And you get people who go in, like me, get two degrees or whatever I got, and then find a job and then just start working that job. Yes, my job is somewhat related to my degrees, but it, my job isn't dependent upon my degrees. Right. My degrees merely indicate to my employer my dedication on continuing to do something. Right. Whereas somebody like this goes through, like this person goes through and they, you know, they get whatever research degree that they get and they learn all these research methods and then they've got to find somebody who's going to pay for research. Mm -hmm. So did this person come up with the research on their own or did they get paid to do the research and skew the results to getting more research yeah. so well, we would have it's to, satirical yeah. but like they don't believe it but they're writing it because they want to put food in their mouth and they don't know anything better well that could be so this is we'd have to look into who who is the i guess the what is the money or the the political force or whatever it is behind we'd have the, to look into the twitter of the person who posted who oh no no I, this. I i went i went to well yeah probably but i went to the actual article itself and mm-hmm. this, the study is published in a peer-reviewed magazine or a peer-reviewed journal called pediatrics which means nothing yeah i mean exactly it doesn't mean anything in particular but uh basically what the study says and and i'll read one of the quotes from it is that it basically it's saying that by saying that breastfeeding is natural and tying that with motherhood, it's reinforcing women staying at home and not working and men uh-huh. being the breadwinners. So I'll read the quote real quick. So the quote is, uh, coupling nature with motherhood can inadvertently support biological deterministic arguments about the roles of men and women in the family. For example, that women should be the primary caretaker. So... It it doesn't exact it it does bother me actually it bothers me quite a bit because men physically can't breastfeed uh-huh. and there has been numerous like unending supplies of information and studies done that say breastfeeding is very good for babies and increases their IQ and increases their immune system and does all these really great things for them. Not everybody can breastfeed and that's and that's you know unfortunate but it's you know that's just the way it is. Um, but, but saying that you should, and, and they, they aren't advocating any laws or anything, but they, but they, su- they submitted this study to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, which is, you know, a government organization that does have some power. Um, some power. Yeah. Well, quite a, a bit, lot. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit of power. Um, they also submitted it to the World Health Organization and several state departments. Um, and, uh, they basically, if you, if you kind of dig into it, they're promoting bottle feeding, whether it's formula or breast milk. Now, mm-hmm. there's also been a lot of studies that, that direct breastfeeding is very good for a baby because of the skin to skin contact. And, uh, there's a lot of, uh, immune system transference from the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, what I, I just find this like, very, and then not only did I see it on cringe or anarchy, but I saw it going around on some like kind of the left wing, um, Twitter feeds as well. Cause I, you know, I follow those and stuff like that. And it's, 
and it's so interesting to see how like some people are like see but like it's it's such a weird it's such a weird thing because the the tone to me on a lot of the left-wing feeds is not if you're a mother let's celebrate it if you if you're a woman and you work let's celebrate it it's if you don't work and you're a woman you're betraying the feminist movement and if you're a man that, mm-hmm. that works or thinks that his wife should breastfeed or his baby mama should breastfeed then you're a piece of shit and you should be a you know what do they call it what is the term soy boy soy, i think that's what it is you should be i have, I have no idea <laughs> you should become a soy boy and stay at home dad and become it, it, like basically incredibly feminized uh but the, there, like the the inability to admit physical differences to me is just mind blowing. It's like they they do admit well, that there's a physical difference, but then they're like, we need to ignore that physical difference for the sake of parity in employment. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, I I think this is one of those things where so. I'm going to relate this to several different things. Yeah. So, keep prepare for the whirlwind of nonsense, folks. <laughs> um. So I don't think this does as much as you think. But I don't think it does. I don't think it does anything no, 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 in no. particular. So, but. Let me let me go through this. Okay. I think what it does is it lays the groundwork for the next arguments, which you're already anticipating, which is great. Yeah. Because like so, Jason Stapleton is talking about um, on the Thursday article. It was either Thursday or Wednesday's. Uh, so today is the seventeenth of August of two thousand and eighteen. So if you look at the Thursday the 16th or third or Wednesday the 15th um episodes from Jason Stapleton um Jason the Jason Stapleton program he's talking about an article from the hill where they're talking about some sort of russian satellite where the russian satellite they don't know what it does and it might be designed to take out other satellites and it's endangering the internet or some other nonsense. So basically, it's an article from the mainstream media gearing up in Jason's mind. And I honestly don't see any reason to disagree with his thought process here. I disagree with some of his conclusions about what to do about it. But it's basically gearing up to say that we need a space force. So it's the first article saying the Russians might be doing something in space. Right. So the next article is going to be like the Russians did something in space. Say this satellite is designed to de-satellite derelict satellites and Russia just hasn't admitted it yet because they wanted to test it first. Right. And they're just going to use it to clean up outer space or the, you know, near Earth orbit. And they're just going to de-satellite other satellites without destroying them. Right. But they're just like, we don't know if it's going to work yet. So we're just not putting it out because, you know, we're kind of in a financial crisis. We don't want to put this out, you know, whatever the reason is. But like mainstream media in the United States is gearing up to say it's bad and it's a weapon. And then like Peter Van Buren was talking about on uh, his most recent appearance on the Scott Horton show, which I think was... Wednesday the 16th episode about his book We Met Well and basically how during the surge mm-hmm. in Iraq he was going around in Iraq just basically throwing millions and billions of dollars at projects to satisfy somebody's whim. Right. And and this is the, the like so to me this is one of those things where it seems like this article is the ground is going to be used as the groundwork for some other research that makes even less sense. Right. And this, this article doesn't necessarily say as much as you're putting on it, but I think you're putting on it for the right reason, kind of going like they're going to use it for this next. Right. And well, then the, the, it's the kind of that. Like the, 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 the presupposition 
bothers me is that is well first of all it assumes that gender roles are bad mm-hmm. i don't agree that gender roles are bad i think government enforced gender roles are bad or mm-hmm. or uh, you know any sort of aggression based gender roles are bad but mm-hmm. you know general well, gender roles exist for a pretty logical reason like and they're not going to work out for everybody and that's and that's mm-hmm. fine and that's why we support a libertarian society or an anarchist society where you know what if you don't want to have kids don't have kids that's fine but you're because of certain physical traits you're going to be predisposed to certain skills and one of those skills that women are predisposed to is breastfeeding and breastfeeding takes a lot of time and a lot of energy oh yes it does and it's so just so the the whole the implication is that well there are no gender stereotypes there's no gender roles at all there are gender roles i don't produce milk i cannot breastfeed my possible future children that Mm -hmm. that's that's just the way that that's like that's basic biology it's and it's like and there's also like you know they're they're what the whole thing where they're like well women and men should make the same amount of money and for the same labor sure they should make the same amount of money if that's what the market demand is because and there's a very simple i think libertarian very logical explanation for why the gender pay gap doesn't exist and it's that if if i could pay a dollar less per hour for a woman i would pay a dollar less per hour for a woman because i'm getting the same work i'm an entrepreneur my my goal is to maximize profit yeah this is the this is the thing that i think people like especially on like um uh, late stage capitalism on um reddit don't understand like if you think I am about maximizing my profits. You're right. I am. Most of what you say wouldn't actually be profit maximization in a functionally well-run business. Right. So you're using the example on a badly run business. And your example of what we should do is have communism. Show me a communist run business that worked. Right. Like just one, one industry that the Soviets did better than the United States. They did, you know, the poverty industry. So. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they made everybody. They made everybody more poor. So, <laughs> so well, I guess. Maybe. I guess if it's uh, if it's to maximize poverty. Right, well, I think that's. I mean, that's a, That's kind of you know what where, where I'm getting at with this is that mm. there's a lot of articles that I see now, and this is a, I think, and I, and I was kind of thinking about it when I like became outraged by the the headline, and I'm not mm-hmm. like an outrage more in the like facepalm outrage like Mm -hmm. again kind of thing and this is sort of how i feel about when i read the root or jezebel or one of those sites or whatever where it's just like this is stupid uh or it's just like it's just so ridiculous but it's my biggest problem with it is that the way that they're written it presupposes that you're at already at a specific point yeah and and there is some power i guess in do in acting that way like if if you and i would always and, and actually we probably do speak this way is that we presuppose that liberty is a primary political value uh, yes and, <laughs> guaranteed we do but and I but I do know that that's that that is not the case. Like Bernie Sanders does not hold liberty as a primary political value. He he the way actually the way that he says my guess is he he holds personal gain as a primary political value. But the, what his what his rhetoric is is that he holds uh, equity as a primary political value. So uh, not even not even just equality, but just is equity is is making everybody equal. Um, I I. This is, this is one of those things where I think if you and I look into what he does, yes. However, I think he would say liberty is a primary value. He just doesn't define it the way we do. That could be. I mean, but the I liber- mean, like the, the whole, liberty the whole... to live a, a life 
unabused or dig or with dignity or whatever but you know, yeah even though dignity, yeah and it's like, like most of those so words putting are subjective. me in, put, putting me in jail because i won't pay for your fat ass well we're like, like or the things like one of the things that really bothers me about him when he's like well we shouldn't you shouldn't have you should only have like one type of deodorant to choose like he had that interview that he well did. you have three homes yeah exactly why why do you have three homes but he's like there's no reason that children should be starving in the united states when we have like 12 different types of deodorant to choose from well first of all when i go to target I've got like a hundred types of deodorant to choose from. And second, I went of to all, Walmart in Utah. <laughs> Man, I was pissed on how many choices I had compared to friggin' Kroger here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I was in Park City, Utah, and I was like, "This is a small town." Yeah, what the yeah. Fuck? You're like, "Well, what do I, I don't even know what to choose." But like, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, there's a reason that there's that many choices, and the reason there's that many choices is because there's that many people who want those choices. And mm-hmm. Uh, but, but like from the way that his rhetoric is, is that he doesn't want you to have the freedom to choose. He wants everybody to have some sort of equality, which then I guess maybe he would equate to freedom is that you and me, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, but then again, you're right. He's a hypocrite. He's got three houses or two or whatever. And like three you know, homes, like five cars or something. Yeah. Something crazy like that. I mean, you know, and, and, and in any, uh, in any great, you know, socialist or communist society, you've got the, what do they call them? The vanguard. You've got the vanguard and the vanguard always live better than the proletariat because the proletariat is workers and they're, they need to be concerned with work and the vanguard needs to be concerned with higher things so that mm-hmm. they can lead the proletariats to whatever. So, uh, anyways, but that's kind of like, that was sort of the, the article that caught my attention today. And since we didn't really have, a huge amount planned. I was like, well, I want to bring this up because this whole, oh, this is the other thing that they were, that they were equating. And this bothers me too, because like, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I also, mm-hmm. I also know there's a ton of money behind vaccinations. And so mm-hmm. like, I think you should, you know, you should be skeptical if you're injecting your kid with some sort of unknown agent, just, you know, look into it or whatever. But one of the things in the article is that they equated describing breastfeeding as natural with anti-vaxxers so so yeah it says in the article it says uh it says um these people it says says, uh marchucci and bernelli or whatever uh mask their agenda by also making an uh an unconvincing secondary argument that describes breastfeeding as natural uh and it and that describing it as natural fuels the anti-vaxxer movement so somehow and and you and I mean you spend a lot of time on Reddit and on you don't on Facebook but uh, you know an, enough time on internet to see like how vehemently opposed to just questioning the the safety of vaccines people are yeah and, and one which of like, the like I, that... I, I I take vaccines I got and I don't always get yeah. I don't always get my flu vaccine but like if there's a vaccine that like I think I need or that that between me and my doctor my doctor is like the person who I trust to be my doctor if he's like yeah you know what you should probably get this vaccine. I'll get the vaccine because that's somebody I trust. I'm not getting the vaccine yeah. because some, the, you know, government bureaucrat says that all kids that go to this compulsory public education have to get vaccinated. Yeah, those may be good vaccines. Like, for my for my daughter, I've picked a pediatrician. I know the level of research he's doing. Yeah, and I trust him to with the vaccines. But I also understand that like there are kids who have problems with vaccines that are not autism. Yeah, like they have a like an actual reaction. Sure. And, yeah. With the flu vaccine, I mean, they go like, if you're allergic to the ingredients of this, right. don't take it. And you're like, I don't know what the frick the ingredients are. Right. Well, and there's also, you know, one of the, one of the other things that people talk about with the flu vaccine, and I don't know if this is true. Again, I go with what my doctor says because I've chosen him and I trust him. Mm -hmm. And, but the, 
the thing with the flu vaccine and, and my my well, actually I don't have a primary care physician out here in Dallas, but in Virginia so you're Beach. You're just gonna fly back to Virginia to go to the doctor. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh well I never went to the doctor really in Virginia anyways, but maybe once yeah, a year. Well, more than I did. Yeah. But uh more than I do. <laughs> but uh you know, the he's even told me this. He's like, Yeah, it, it's about twenty it's about twenty percent effective. And, yeah. and and then you have like a you know, like maybe a twenty or thirty percent chance that you're just gonna get sick from the vaccine. Well, and and that's the thing with the flu. And I don't think necessarily the people developing the flu vaccine and the companies necessarily, the companies maybe a little more like they're trying to worm into the government pockets and abuse the situation. Well, they do abuse but, it through the patent system for one. Oh, for sure. For sure. But like one of the things that like I think is they they pick a strain and they kind of go, well, this is our best guess. That this is going to be the one. Right. And it may not be their best guess. It may be engineered where they're like, this is the easy one. This is the one we can work with. I don't know enough about, you know, I want to say virology, but I know that's not the study of viruses, right. but whatever it is. So I certainly understand that. But that's one of those things where like the same thing. I, I trust my doctor, my daughter's doctor to give me the straight poop about the situation and give me you know, the best advice. And I mean, you personally know the pediatrician we use. Yeah. And it's like, if I can't trust him as a pediatrician, I can't just, I'm not going to send my daughter to the doctor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the only, the only doctor I trust more is the one I had and she doesn't practice anymore. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like, well, that's, yeah, exactly. Like the thing is, is it's going to be between me and my pediatrician or whatever. And it's between me and my primary care physician right now. And, that's the point of having an expert that is your agent is that mm-hmm. they will be able to tell you what is good and what's not good, which is one of the reasons why we're, we're considering actually going to uh direct primary care here in Dallas. Cause there's a lot more of that here than there was in Virginia beach and it's a lot less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's that mean? So direct primary care, um, Tom Woods has actually talked quite a bit about this. Um, and there's a guy who has done several interviews. He's got a podcast called, um, uh, paradox, but it's like pair of docs, like docs, doctors. Yeah, this guy was on Woods, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a while ago. He doesn't do direct yeah, primary yeah. care, but he's had a lot of people who talk about direct primary care on his podcast. And that's kind of okay. where I found out about it and started doing research. But it's basically instead of going through the insurance model where you have a primary care physician and you, you know, you go to him and then you, he bills your insurance. Instead, you go to a doctor and it's sort of like a gym membership. So mm-hmm. you, you pay a certain amount per month and, mm-hmm. and it's all inclusive. So that includes whatever that doctor can do. And he's got, you know, they'll, he or she will have a list of things on, uh, on their website that they can yeah, do. Yeah. And set arms, stitches, yeah, all exactly. that. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's usually what, what your general doctor will do, be able to do. And, uh, but they, they usually do a little bit more. So they also do a lot of blood work. Usually, uh, they can do minor surgeries most of the time. Um, they also give you a, a steep, steep discount on prescription drugs, which we don't really have any use for that, but it's nice to know that if the doctor is like, Hey, you need this prescription that if Rite Aid is going to charge like $400 for it, you can usually get it for like six bucks by doing direct primary care. There, it's well, a I mean, huge like discrepancy. If, if you guys have kids, yeah. you could see a bunch of stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. So like looking into it, it's about $75 each for Victoria and me to get direct primary care. And this is unlimited doctor's visits. Also the difference between a primary care and a direct primary care is that, um, although I think that the ACA uh, regulation says that you have to be able to do this, but I know that my doctor didn't, uh, they just didn't provide it, but I could get it through my insurance company 
was you can just call your doctor and be like, hey, I got that cough again. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, come by and you can pick up this prescription we gave you last time. If you don't feel better in a couple of days, why don't you come in and talk to me? Um, Mm -hmm. They also have done a lot of studies on it that a direct primary care physician spends on average one hour per visit with his patients, whereas a regular primary care physician spends on average less than 10 minutes with each patient. And, I like the sound of this. Yeah, so there, it's it's basically concierge service, but with a direct primary care model, it's uh, less expensive than than concierge service. Um, mm. It also gives a lot more freedom to the doctor, and uh, with a doctor who's more rest and less overworked, you're going to get better care and more accurate care. Like one of the big, well, and that was one of the things that I was going to say about like one of the things we talked on earlier was like how the U.S healthcare model is like just insanely set up based on these weird archaic standards yeah. about that guy who set up residencies who was on cocaine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so that guy, he was like on cocaine. So he's like, if you, if you can't work 16 hours a day, then you're not a good doctor. And so yeah. they, they came up with all these like weird residency practices where like people will stay up for 16 hours. And, and all of the sleep research has shown that, um, if you sleep less than seven and a half hours a night, you have, uh, for every additional hour that you sleep less, you have a diminished capacity of like 30%. Well, I think the guy who, the national, healthcare guy who was on Rogan yeah who i think has the the best current record it's 6 to 8 well 6 to 8 Depend, depends on the depending. person i think that they yeah, yeah, they yeah. average it out to 7 and a half so okay so, well, the, I'll so take that. i i can't okay. i can't seven remember what, what it was but like the article that i was reading i think said that there are some people who can sleep 6 but it's very very rare mm-hmm. um and that people who think that they can function on 6 don't really function that well on six. They just think they can. So they, if they, if they got like a full eight hours or seven and a half hours of sleep, their function, their functional performance would drastically rise rise in like 99.9% of the population. (laughs) And, but it's just, there's a lot of people who sleep six and they think that they're performing high and they are performing high compared to other people, but compared to what their personal best could be, they should be sleeping seven and a half or eight hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've been trying really hard to get seven and a half a night and I'm not doing a very good job. But, uh, and I consider myself, actually, I consider myself incredibly lazy, but if I like objectively look at it, I am a high performer. And, uh, and that's surprising me that you're not pulling seven and a half. No, I, I try really hard. I, I try, like, I get maybe six hours and 20 minutes if I'm lucky. Um, and I try to go to bed on time and stuff. It's just I don't fall asleep until if I go to bed on time with the objective of getting seven and a half, I don't fall asleep on time. The only way that I can get the amount I need is to sleep in. Huh. And I, and I don't know what it is. And I think it's just like I need to set my I need my rhythm to be set better or something like that. And it's just gonna it'll take time. But having the sleep monitor is kind of nice. I got the Fitbit because my work pays me for walking. Um, and uh, it also does sleep tracking. And that's kind of and I used to, I thought I got seven and a half or eight hours a night. And then that's I, what I thought yeah I thought so too until I started tracking this Fitbit and it's like nope. You toss and turn until like 11.30 every night, and then I wake up every day at 6.30, and uh, so I'm getting like 7, but then there's also uh, points in the night when you wake up a lot of times and you don't remember, and I mm. and I apparently wake up in the middle of the night, like 45 minutes a night. Holy crap. Yeah, so I'm not- But that gonna... might also be conditioned from journaling. It could be, yeah, because I also used to wake up in the middle of the night and journal and stuff like that, so uh, I don't know. I'm working on it, but I think that- uh, since we've been going almost an hour and a half, which is our normal time, uh, I think this is a good point for us to say goodnight so that I can try to get a seven and a half hour night tonight. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there, there are a couple of things that I think we've been uh, lax on doing on the end of our shows okay. and in our shows. So as always, we are abolitionists. We you know, suggest you succeed from the, the nonsense of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and is it Lars Ulbrich? I get his first name wrong often. Yeah. Oh, Lar- Lynn Ulbrich's son? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Lars Ulbrich. Yeah. He's in jail for two life terms plus like some time yep. for some sort of nonsense of running the Silk Road. Right. So, you know, your government has put a person away for the rest of his life for no crime, right. essentially. So, you know, whatever we can do to get him free mm-hmm. and pardoned, um, hopefully the next administration will be have some sort of sense and not Trump. Um to, and free him yep. and, or pardon him or something because he, he should not be in jail. And then uh, if you want to communicate with us, tastinganarchy.com. Um, we, we do, we're trying to be better about posting on the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys, you know, we're, we're thinking about trying to post them to YouTube as well. So if you prefer to watch things or listen to things on YouTube, because like Tom Woods, there's not a video component to our show. It's right. just recorded verbal conversation um so if you're interested in that we're we're thinking about doing that so if you happen to listen to this episode and we haven't started posting them to youtube and you really want us to we let us know um you can email us at tastinganarchy.com um hopefully at some point we'll have you know bluehost that's who we use to host the site we don't mm-hmm. really have any problems with them nope. uh, they work well with many many um website generation kits like we use web uh, WordPress, yep. which works very well, but they, they work with many different ones of that. So hopefully we'll have a WordPress link if you're looking for hosting and you haven't gotten it from Tom Woods. Um, you know, we could definitely use the support and, uh, hopefully at some point we'll have, uh, Amazon links to the books and things like that we discuss within the show. If you purchase them through our link, we get a little bit of a kickback and anything you purchase in the next 24 hours, unless you're like me and have a complete, um, always in incognito mode on every browser you use will continue to get um some advantage for that right yep all right so i think that is it uh for tonight so stay thirsty yes (laughs) as i finish my last sip of wine so have a good night yeah. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Horton Sherry. Oh, pass that ball to me. Now down on Gilfrey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Pass that ball to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. 
some by fifth and some by four. But when you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, soda, you to drink wine. Wine, soda, you to drink wine. Wine, soda, you to drink wine. Pants